0: Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.
1: I'm Nil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. Brenda Davis is a registered dietitian, internationally acclaimed speaker, and author who promotes the power of plant-based nutrition to sustain health and well-being. This is one of the longest interviews I've conducted, and I promise you this is a conversation about food, health, and nutrition unlike any you have heard before. Whether you're a food manufacturer or trying to learn more about health and nutrition, there's a lot you can take away from it. Brenda is one of the smartest dietitians I know, and this conversation is perfect for anyone who is curious about the nutritional value of various foods and whether all packaged or processed foods are bad, and what are processed foods in the first place. If you work in the food industry or are planning to be a part of the industry, this episode is even more important because we go into detail about how you can develop a product that uses the healthiest combination of ingredients to still develop something that tastes great. Here's what we cover in the conversation. We talk about how all grains are not created equal and how to choose the healthiest. Whether high carb foods are bad for you and why when you try low carb, you end up unintentionally eating more meat and less plants. We also talk about sugar, fat and salt and the best sources for each. Brenda has some really interesting things to say about why sugar should be completely avoided and how to sweeten foods the healthy way. We also get into protein and Brenda has some surprising things to say about soy that most people may not know. Things to keep in mind when using isolate proteins and what scientific research has revealed about populations that consume plant-based meats. Lastly, we cover additives, preservatives, emulsifiers, colors and flavors that i could barely pronounce that are used in packaged foods brenda breaks down which ones may be harmful versus others that sound scarier than they are but that's not all we also get into the benefits of fortified foods nutrients like k2 and omega-3 fats and functional foods brenda has the incredible ability to break down really complex facets of nutrition into easy to understand advice i know i learned a lot from this interview and i hope you will too Brenda Davis, thank you so much for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast.
2: Well, thank you so much, Neil. Glad to be here.
1: <laughs> Brenda, you know, I'm going to start off with a statement, and you tell me if you agree with it or you disagree with it. Um, if you want to live a long, healthy life, the science points to one simple solution, and that solution is eat, at least when it comes to food, eat a diet that is entirely or at least primarily comprised of whole plant foods. Would you agree with that?
2: I absolutely agree with that.
1: All right. So given we've gotten that out of the way, because that's a very crucial point. I know it's oversimplified, but that's a great, great starting point. We know that whole plant foods are probably a best bet for good health and longevity. Mm-hmm. The reality is that you know most Americans, at least half of the calories that they consume, an average American, tends to come from packaged foods. And I recently read a study that, that found out that about um, 50% of our calories consumed by Americans tend to come from what they call ultra-processed foods. Mm-hmm. So foods that contain excess amounts of sugar, salt, oil, um, emulsifiers, additives, sweeteners, colors, mm-hmm. preservatives, mm-hmm. things that we ideally should not be getting into too much in our diet.
2: Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, Neil, the I just saw a report that showed that 39% of our calories come from sugar, oil, and, yeah, sugar and oil basically wow. uh like thirty nine percent those were the two you know main contributors of calories in in the diet, and then another thirty percent was from animal products, another twenty two was from uh uh grains ninety five percent of which are highly refined, and I think you know somewhere ten or eleven percent from whole plant foods, or no, I shouldn't say whole plant foods. Plant foods, plant food. half of which are probably ketchup and orange juice. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and fries. <laughs> and fries, yeah.
1: <laughs> so um, so, th- so I guess what we're, we're both kind of agreeing on is that people aren't taking the whole plant foods advice, or at least eat mostly plants advice that even mm-hmm. Michael Pollan has been saying for years. And um, it's not because they don't know that buying fresh produce and fresh food and bringing it home and cooking from scratch is the is not the right thing to do they do know that but the reality is that most people live really busy lives mm-hmm. um they either may not be able to access or afford certain kinds of mm-hmm. healthy fresh produce and and other plant foods or they just don't have time for it they're mm-hmm. on the go they're eating uh lunch on their desks at work and come home and are too tired to cook dinner mm-hmm. so that's the reality so I think it's a huge problem, but it's also a huge opportunity for change, because if you can develop better for you, better for the planet, healthier, cleaner packaged foods, we may be able to get people to start eating in a different way. So that kind of puts the burden on food manufacturers. But the good news is that consumers are also demanding that now that people know more about The fact that sugar, salt, and oil aren't the best things for you. They're asking for cleaner ingredients, uh, more natural foods, whatever that means. We will get into that. Um, (laughs) And we're at this point where we can um, hopefully give rise to a new industry that's producing better foods. So the long setup, I gave the long setup because I want today's conversation to start talking about how can someone who is a consumer of these foods, as well as someone who is considering to developing these foods as a food company or an inspiring entrepreneur or someone who already has uh, products out there in the market, how can they start thinking about food and ingredients and uh, packaged foods from the lens of health? And when it comes to the ingredients, when it comes to additives, and when it comes to what it is that is optimal for most people, uh when it comes to food and nutrition and i say most people because i want to keep in mind we're talking about health some people um uh, may be combating diseases some people mm-hmm. may be um genetically predisposed to certain kinds of foods versus others so i don't it's very tough to talk in general terms when mm-hmm. it comes to food and nutrition but most people so let's start with um at a pretty high level let's start with um with the uh, processed foods like, What is your take on processed foods? It's a pretty broad term. What do you think it means?
2: Um, processed foods is, it, I mean, food processing includes any changes you make to whole foods. So when you take a wheat berry and turn it into flour, it's been processed. Um, when you blend something, you're processing it. Uh, so, So the way that I look at it is there are foods that are very lightly processed, some that are more heavily processed and so a a lot of foods that are very lightly processed are are very acceptable even when you take and and um, package you know frozen foods it's a lightly processed food uh, so I think we have to be careful about the term processed because it means a very wide range of things. And of course, the very heavily processed foods, I would consider foods where you're you're extracting almost everything of value to human health. So you take a, a wheat berry, you turn it into white flour, you remove the germ, you remove the bran, you've got pretty much just the endosperm, and you've lost 95% of the phytochemicals. You've lost um, 70 to 80% of the vitamins and minerals. You've lost you know, 80% of the fiber. And then nobody eats a bowl of white flour. What do we do with the white flour before we eat it? Well, we add sugar, fat, um, you know, all sorts of uh, chemical additives, preservatives, salt, and so on and so on. And then we eat the white flour in the form of donuts or processed cereals or, or you know, packaged cookies or, mm-hmm. you know, refined breads. And 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 not only have we removed what is really of value to human health, but we've added a bunch of crap that's killing us. And so there's, you know, we really need to be very cautious when we're consuming processed foods. And there are some people that are, you know, at the extreme end that really don't use. I use very few processed foods because there aren't that many processed foods that I think are really high quality. Um, so, So, you know, I make my own crackers. I make my own granola. I make my own you know, uh, pear cream to put on my, you know, my sprouted camo berries in the morning. So I do everything from scratch. But in order to do that, you have to have some time. And I mean, my my time is relatively limited, but I just make it a real priority in my life. So instead of watching a TV show, I'll be in the kitchen doing whatever. Uh, if I need a break from my computer, I'm running up to the kitchen to, you know, soak and dehydrate the nuts or seeds. But it's a different level of of food preparation. And so there are a lot of people that, you know, you've got young children, you've got a full-time job, and you're not at home to even be able to do those things. So, you know, some processed foods absolutely can fit into um, a healthy plant-based diet, but we need to be very selective.
1: Right. So if you're, if someone is thinking of, um, let's assume I'm launching a food uh, brand and I Want to offer something that makes it easy for people to eat plant-based on the go? Yeah. Uh, perhaps it's an energy bar or yeah. a nutrition bar or something. Um, if I were th- thinking through the ingredient list that I need to come up mm-hmm. with to create something that is um, that can be packaged that won't go bad e- easily, um, what if I'm what what should I be considering? What considerations should I have in mind? Uh, When I'm choosing ingredients, let's start with, say, um, if I wanted to add grains into uh, a product, grains are not all created equal.
2: No, they're not. So, so at the, you know, I've created this thing I call the whole grain hierarchy. And at the top of the whole grain hierarchy are grains where they they are just as they are picked off the plant. There's nothing added. There's nothing taken away. So they're intact. So they will be, you chew them, they'll be absorbed into your bloodstream very slowly. You get everything that was originally intended for you in that grain. If you cut the grain and turn it into, you know, oat groats into steel cut oats, you're exposing the the grain to a little more oxygen and then you roll the grain you're increasing the surface area a little more and exposing it to to more damage then you know a, a step down you're shredding the grain then you're grinding the grain then you're flaking the grain then you're puffing the grain and as you go down that list you're increasing the surface area more you're increasing the glycemic impact which means how rapidly it's absorbed into the into the bloodstream and how it well, it can sustain your blood sugar levels and, and you're destroying nutrients. So so even within, even if you choose a whole grain and not a refined grain, well, there's various levels of processing of that grain. And so if you're doing a product, you, you know, ideally you would take the grain and sprout the grain and then you, you reduce anti-nutrients, you release stored forms of nutrients and the phytochemicals increase probably 500%. So so that would be absolutely ideal. So if you could sprout and then uh, dehydrate quinoa or something like that. The other consideration in choosing grains is so many people are um, trying to avoid gluten for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Some people are really, truly sensitive to gluten. Some are, have celiac disease. And so if you're trying to make a bar that appeals to everyone, you might want to be choosing one of the grains that is a, a gluten-free grain Although I myself I like to use gluten containing grains like camut berries I love to sprout uh, barley is probably the lowest GI grain that, that is available uh, so the th- you know the three main grains that contain gluten are wheat and all of the wheat derivatives barley and rye and of course triticale which is a combination of rye and wheat and so there's a, and that's it and the, and there are so many more grains that mm-hmm. are gluten free uh, so the pseudo grains and then all of the other grains.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think the grain conversation in the last few years has gotten a bit oversimplified oh, um, yes. where because uh, maybe for good reason, because a lot of the grains that most people are consuming tend to be refined grains. Mm-hmm. Um, the ones that you described that take out all the good and leave something that is undoubtedly going to spike your um, insulin levels and potentially lead to other problems. So. What do you think about um some of the work that has been done talking about how um excessive grain consumption is tied to um degenerative um to diseases especially brain conditions or perhaps even diabetes and do you think that's again an an oversimplified statement Oh
2: it's a hugely over oversimplified statement because if you think about it, I mean, there, there's there's some truth to it because 95% of the grains consumed in North America are refined. Mm. And so they're garbage foods. Uh, but if you look around the world at the healthiest, longest-lived peoples, they you know even if we look at the blue zones uh they they all the car- carbohydrate intake in the blue zones ranges between 50 and 90% they all include some grains uh, gra- if grains were poison probably the longest lived people in the world wouldn't be consuming them this is to me the acid test mm-hmm. and so i think and and you know there was a study that just came out looking at health impl- implications and outcomes with grain intake And what they found is with intake of whole grains, uh, we see reduced risk of just about every disease you can think of. In my view, uh, refined grains are more inflammatory. Uh, Unprocessed grains are are more anti-inflammatory. And so I think that, and and of course, if you're sensitive to uh, certain grains, Mm -hmm. like you're sensitive to gluten, it will promote inflammation in your body because you're sensitive to it. But if not, then I think it's reasonable to include some. Uh, so to me, it's it's really a matter of um, of of looking at um, the process, the, the yeah. processing, the degree of processing of the grains. And in this country and many others, the vast majority of grains are consumed stripped of their value and a bunch of garbage added. Mm-hmm. No wonder it causes uh, you know horrible health outcomes when you look at what people are actually eating but uh, but other grains i mean we, we know look at people that eat oatmeal for breakfast or they're eating you know some sort of kamut berry salad or these are these are foods that really contribute significantly to i think our overall health and i think they they deserve a place in the diet and not that they're absolutely necessary foods you could actually create a diet that's completely adequate with no grains at all so for me the grains thing is mm-hmm. about once you've met your needs for, you know, the your protein foods, so your legumes and your, your vegetables and your fruits and your nuts and seeds and you've You've got all of those. You've got your 10 servings of veggies and fruits. You've got all of that done. The grains are what you vary according to your energy needs. Right. And the starchy vegetables as well. Mm-hmm. So if you're a triathlete burning 5,000 calories a day, you need you, you can afford to eat quite a few of these foods. If you're a senior lady who is not moving very much, uh, just a sedentary person and you don't need a lot of calories the number of servings you may require is really very small.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, grains, um, one last question on grains before I get into the broader issue of, of carbohydrates, because it is, a lot of people assume when you're talking about carbs, you're talking about bread and grains, which is not true, yes, <laughs> again. Exactly. Um, but is are fermented grains any better for you? I mean, I have heard some people talk about if you are... If you're going to have a product with bread or something in it, um, sourdough or fermented breads are better because they are easily digestible. What is your understanding of that?
2: Yeah, and they they also have a lower glycemic impact. Um, And of course, when we ferment foods, we can produce some probiotics, uh, which can be beneficial. Although if you are baking bread, you're probably destroying those. Mm Uh, But nonetheless, there is some really solid evidence that there are advantages to fermented grains as opposed to regular. But in my view, so if I'm, you know, working with someone with diabetes, I will tell them uh, if we want to see dramatic results quickly, let's draw the line at intact grains, Mm -hmm. you eat no other grains. So there's no ground grains, there's no, none of that stuff you're eating, if you're eating uh, wheat, it's wheat berries or camut berries or spelt berries in a salad or in your breakfast bowl or sprouted. You're eating quinoa, you're eating black rice or barley intact. Mm-hmm. Not cut, not ground, none of that. And we see very rapid responses when we do that.
1: That's a great point. I mean, I think um part of what's happening in the last few years is because um of all the new evidence that has come out against um um sugar. And um, a lot of people are also starting to assume that we should all be consuming a low carb diet mm-hmm. because um, carbohydrate rich foods um, are you know high glycemic uh, high on the glycemic index um, So by and they convert into glucose, which mm-hmm. is sugar. What are your thoughts on the oversimplica- oversimplification of carbs as well? because that's again, when you take speak about carbs, you're talking about, you're talking about all plant foods that contain carbs, but some people mm-hmm. are starting to avoid things like starchy vegetables, assuming that it is maybe not good for them. Um, yeah.
2: I I just, it just may, it, it upsets me. <laughs> just put it that way. Um, no, if you think about this, if you think about the things in foods that are most protective fiber, phytochemicals, antioxidants, the plant sterols and stanols, all of the, you know, the, the, the prebiotics, the, you know, all of these things that we know are the most prote- protective to human health, they're all concentrated in plant foods. The things we know are, are that are the most damaging are from processed foods and animal products. And when you say low carb, you're saying low plants, because mm-hmm. plants contain carbs. And so if, if, you, if you're wondering how much well, fruit is about, on average, 92% of calories from carbs. Um, starchy vegetables, about 90% of calories from carbohydrates. Uh, if you look at uh, grains, it's about 75% of calories from carbohydrates. Legumes, about 70% of calories from carbohydrates. You know, nuts and seeds are really the only category of plant foods that are probably around 12 to 15% of calories from carbohydrates. But on average, uh, we're looking at 60 16- 60 to 90% of calories from carbohydrates in all plant foods, with the exception of nuts and seeds. It would be impossible to eat a lot of plants and eat a low-carbohydrate diet. It's, mm-hmm. it, it just w- couldn't work. Uh, so to me, um, you know, we, we have so much evidence in favor of eating a, a predominantly plant-based diet. People that are saying low-carb are saying high meat, because uh, oh. the only foods that have no carbs are meat, poultry, fish, uh, of course, you know oil, um, and other than that, you know eggs, uh, dairy even has a little bit of carbohydrates. Yeah. So, so we're talking about a heavy meat diet, and to me, there's no justification for that. And
1: just a slight tangent on that, since you mentioned it, I think part of the reason some people think that they find um, some success on those diets in the short run is because, again, when you tell people to cut out uh, all um, carbs. Essentially, most people are cutting out refined carbs from because that's what their diet comprises of. Yeah. And by virtue of cutting out refined carbs, they may experience some uh, weight loss and tempor- oh, short-term health benefits. No
2: question, absolutely, positively, because you're you're eliminating processed foods. Mm-hmm. You're eliminating sugars. So you're eliminating ice cream, you're eliminating bread, you're eliminating all that stuff. So of course you're going to lose weight. Yeah. But it's really in my view short-term gain for long-term pain. Right. You know? <laughs> okay. Um because because when you eat that much meat, yeah. you're eating it it's just the amount of environmental contaminants that you know heterocyclic amines and the the new 5GC which is a pro-inflammatory molecule The every study we have, every meta-analysis I've looked at on mm-hmm meat consumption and mortality, meat consumption and diabetes, meat consumption and heart disease, the link is so strong. Intake of meat increases risk. There's no fiber, there's no phytochemicals, there's no antioxidants, or very few. Um, You know, the things that are most protective to human health are not there. And there are multiple things that are damaging, a lot of saturated fat, just, it's it's just not good news. Low carbohydrate diets are going to you know, come and bite us in the butt, I'll tell you. In the long term, we're going to see increases in cancer risk, especially.
1: Yeah, you're. Right. I think you're mm-hmm. right about that. So I want to bring it back to my hypothetical uh, product that I'm developing. Um, I think if I had to choose grains for that product, I'm going to go with uh, wheat berries. I'm going to go with whole wheat berries. If I could uh, put that in the product. Again, I, I'm not developing a product. This is all uh, hypothetical. But I want to try to under- walk through these. Um... But
2: I'll tell you, be careful of the wheat berries because a lot of people won't buy it because it contains gluten. Oh, so you sure. might want to go with quinoa or, or buckwheat or millet. Or All right, I'll create two <laughs> versions.
1: One of them will be for the gluten-free yeah. and one will be for <laughs> e- everyone else. Um, so, And, you know, of course, you're talking about ki- being able to k- keep foods in their most intact form and not overtly processing it. Um we know one problem with with packaged foods though is that in in a to be able to provide it in an exciting package that people are going to pick up from the shelves and and consume you have to make it taste great so or people would not buy it. they would buy fruits and vegetables which we know yep. they're not buying <laughs> um so another problem that ends up happening is the Things that start to be added on to add flavor, and I'm I'm going to get into the additives and that whole world in a bit. But first, we'll start with sugar, fat, and salt. Now, if I need sugar, fat, and salt in my product, what would be the best sources? We can start with sugar. Yeah. Should you even have any sugar? What what? Let's break down sugar first, and then we'll tack it, tackle tackle uh, fat and salt.
2: Okay. So what I do mm-hmm. myself in my home is. If I want something sweet, I use dried fruit because dried fruit contains uh, fiber, phytochemicals, antioxidants, all of vitamins and minerals, sugar, almost none. And we need to get sugar out. So if you want a product that would really appeal to people, zero sugar, none, zero. Use real food to sweeten it. Use fruits to to provide the sweetness, period. And And dried fruits, you want to Not, you know, you don't want things sickeningly sweet. Mm -hmm. So you use as as little as possible to get a flavor that is, you know, would would appeal to people.
1: And can you talk about why the difference between the fructose, sucrose, um, why dried foods are better versus um, table sugar? People know that, but may not know why.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, dried fruits, as I mentioned, contain vitamins, minerals, Mm -hmm. fiber, phytochemicals, all of the good things things that fruit contains it's just dried the water's been taken out whereas sugar uh white sugar has nothing calories period it's pure carbohydrate uh, it, it, you look at something like brown sugar. Well, there's trace amounts. If you wanted to get even 10 percent of the RDA of a nutrient from it, you'd need to eat two cups. Uh, and then other sugars like, a, a, you know, agave syrup or or you know, all of these other sugars, uh, they may contain trace amounts of nutrients. Even coconut sugar, whatever, they're small amounts of nutrients, uh, but mm. huge amounts of 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 sugar. And to me. I would prefer to get the sweetness from something that comes with more fiber and so forth. Some types of sugar, so we look at, at sweeteners that are very high in fructose, like agave syrup, for example. Uh, fructose is, your, your, it literally has to be dealt with by your liver. And so your liver has a limited capacity to deal with fructose, and it deals with the amount of fructose in fruit pretty well, from my understanding. But when you extract it and concentrate it, and add it to foods, you very quickly overwhelm your liver's capacity to deal with it. And what happens when you do that, especially when you're over-consuming calories? So our bodies have these amazing storehouses of fat where mm-hmm. you're, you can store almost unlimited amounts of fat in your adipose tissue, and that's what adipose tissue is for. But if it's coming in so quickly that your liver can't shuttle it to the, to the adipose tissue fast enough... It actually gets converted into fat and stored right in the liver. Some of it gets shuttled to the pancreas, and even if the pancreas has as little as one percent uh, fat, mm-hmm. it, it 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 puts beta cells to sleep. Uh, so so fructose, whatever glucose does to the body when consumed in excess, fructose does it in it's like hyper uh, style. And so it's it's you know we get um, accelerated non-alcoholic fatty liver disease from fructose compared to glucose. So there's some sweeteners that really we need to think twice about. And so a lot of people who think, oh well, it's a oh natural sugar. Mm-hmm. Sugar is sugar is sugar. We want to minimize our intake. Period. We eat too much of this stuff. And so if we're going to sweeten something, to me, ideally, you're using uh, dried fruit. The, the one sugar that actually contains some value is blackstrap molasses. Mm-hmm. So if you're using organic blackstrap molasses, you're actually getting in two tablespoons about the same amount of calcium as a glass of milk, about 300 milligrams, and about the same amount of iron <laughs> as an eight-ounce steak. So it, it actually has some nutritional value, but there are not many other sugars that provide that kind of nutritional punch.
1: Yeah, and what about you know you see a lot of uh, products these days sweetened with um, organic stevia, for example. Yeah. What, what do you think about that too?
2: Um, well, you know, organic stevia would be it's. I mean, it's really a leaf mm-hmm. that's that that's naturally sweet tasting, and some countries it's kind of like the main sugar alternative that that are used in sort of sugar free products. And, and to be honest, I think that if you're using a sugar alternative, it's safer than some of the others. I, I've heard a little bit about monk fruit and, and about some of the sugar alcohols that maybe uh, not... Like
1: xylitol, is that one of those sugar yeah, alcohols? Yeah, so. and
2: urethritol <laughs> and these, you know, so, so those, they, they, they're a little hard on your gut. <laughs> mm. So you can get a lot of cramping and stuff when you eat too many of them, maybe diarrhea. It's not... It's not. It's not all good, Um, but I. I I think in in terms of which would be better, stevia definitely a better choice than most other artificial. You know, and it's not artificial, but most artificial uh, sweeteners, Uh, I'd steer clear of them. And what we know is that they actually. Um, may damage our gut microbiota, and this is like dysbiosis is a sort of a having too many unfriendly gut bacteria as opposed to the friendly gut bacteria and and we're only starting to recognize the um huge overwhelming effect that has on human health right to brain function, it affects everything, and so we really want to be as much as possible, limiting our intake of things that destroy our gut microbiota.
1: That's great advice. I mean, that was so useful. You packed so much in there. So I'm now left with the sprouted quinoa or or wheat berries (laughs) uh, with dry fruit as my most preferred sweetening option if I'm creating this product. (laughs) Um, For whatever reason, if I'm deciding to add fat to it to bind it together or from some other function or for the taste and flavor... Um, let's break that down a little bit. A lot of, uh, packaged foods tend to have, uh, refined oils in them as the only fat. I'm not saying that's the only source of fat available. Um, a lot of new products now are starting to put in, um, uh, DHA, EPA derived from algae uh, as another source of fat. Can you break down fats a little bit? Why should be pe- Why should people be concerned or should they be concerned about oils in their packaged foods and is there a good and bad and ugly amongst them?
2: Yeah. Oh yes. There's. I like that. Good, bad, ugly. Uh, yeah. And and yes, we should be concerned about fat added to foods. Uh, we too. You know, we tend to eat too much fat, but more than the amount. You know, if you look again at the blue zones, the amount of fat consumed, um, the Okinawa, and six to ten percent of calories from fat. But the people in Icaria, Greece, uh, 50% of calories from fat, and they're all blue zone. So there are sort of wide-ranging amounts of fat that people consume and can still it, – it's, and it's true with, with macronutrients generally. Uh, if they're coming from whole foods, it's not as big of an issue, the percentage, for example. But in terms of best choices of fats, again, it's like the, the carbohydrates. Whole plant foods is where you want to get your carbohydrates. Whole plant foods is where you want to get your fat. So if you're adding fats, my choice when I make a bar or a cookie or whatever is um, tahini, uh, almond butter, uh, nuts and seeds. I would, you know, blend into butter. That's what I would use. If it's a product that could use avocado, that could work as well. Um, fat, again, I think it's important for people to understand that, that fat is critical to human health. We need it for our brain function. Mm-hmm. We need it for the functioning of our, of all of our vital organs, but every cell, every cell in the body, the cell membrane is made of fats and we need them for, you know, cell to cell communication, just the functioning of those cell membranes. And so it's not something we want to, you know, get rid of fat completely, but our choice of fat is very important. And so, you know, the good is fat from whole plant foods. Um, And, and... You know more unsaturated and monounsaturated fat. Getting enough essential fatty acids, and and you know the bad to me would be um, saturated fats. Uh, there we we need to limit them. Even the American College of Cardiology, the American Heart Association say not more than five to six percent of calories as saturated fat. And what's interesting is probably 5% of the population gets that, and that's right where vegans are, and they're about 5% of the population. Mm-hmm. Nobody else is is consuming the sort of the recommended amount of saturated fat. And then the ugly, for sure, would be trans fats, which this year should be eliminated from the food supply, uh, and damaged fats. So fats that are heated to high temperatures. So you cook french fries, and you're heating oil over and over again, dipping the 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 food into it and and uh, this is really not good news because products of oxidation form that are very damaging to human health and so we want to minimize that sort of frying of fats uh, and and so I would be using nut and seed butters in that bar as mm-hmm. opposed to or nuts and seeds as opposed to oils
1: right and what about um are there differences between oils because um say for example. Are avocado oil or, um, say, macadamia nut oils superior to um, canola oil?
2: Yeah, so, so there's... Oh,
1: it depends how you use it even.
2: Yeah, it depends how you use it because some oils would be very susceptible to oxidation. So if you cook with them, bad news, they would smoke at a fairly um, low, low temperature. temperature yeah. And uh, as soon as oil smokes, you're producing aldehydes and acrylinds and all of these things that that are toxic. And, and so basically, um, if you're, I mean, I would say minimize your use of oils. The best oils are oils that are first pressing of the food. You lose the fiber, you lose a lot of the phytochemicals, you retain some of the vitamin E. To be honest with you, I think that really high quality fresh pressed oils probably have more redeeming value than um, higher quality organic sugars, for example. Mm. And the reason I say that is because the oils you actually need some fat in your diet to absorb fat soluble nutrients. Yeah. So if you put a dead sugar based dressing on your salad, you absorb maybe one tenth of the nutrients in that of the of the fat soluble compounds in that salad compared to if you had a dressing with some fat. My choice of fat in my dressings is always hemp seeds or tahini, or I use whole foods. Hmm. But if you were using a small amount of oil, a tablespoon of avocado oil or um, something like that, it would be better than using sugar, in my view.
1: And you're better off probably adding it after the fact rather than cooking with it. Oh, absolutely. Extra virgin oil of oil.
2: Absolutely. Any cooking of oils can destroy mm. some of the it can cause oxidative damage so definitely adding them after would be preferable although some sometimes you need something to prevent sticking or mm. something like that and of course you can learn to braise in broth or wine or water or whatever you want to use um and that that can work too and then if you add any sort of like, let's say you, you're making something, you want a bit of sesame flavor, you want to add the sesame oil. Well, you can add a few drops. You don't need much to give that flavor. Mm-hmm. Or you can add some sesame seeds on top or something like that. So you have choices.
1: Yeah, there's so many choices when you really start to think about oh, it. Yes. Uh, we act like we're so limited with the options that we're given. Um, we just haven't sat and thought about what else is available out there yeah. and how you can be creative to combine it. Um, yeah. So... In terms of, um, you mentioned saturated fat as well. Um, what do, what do you think about coconut oil? Um, is it something, I know it's, um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I know it's not harmful if you consume in small amounts uh, or you moderate your consumption. It does have saturated fat and you have to be careful about that. What do you recommend about coconut oil in general? Yeah, or coconut so fats?
2: I would I would say um, it's, the same for coconut oil as I would say for any other oil. You want to get your fat from whole foods. I would way sooner see somebody crack open a coconut and eat coconut mm. meat than use coconut oil because, again, you're losing so many of the valuable compounds in the coconut. So coconut oil is very high in saturated fat, close to 90%. You see numbers between 82 and 92%. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, in fact... The the type of saturated fat in coconut oil raises cholesterol somewhat less than the dairy fat or meat fat, and the only reason for that is because about 50 percent of the saturated fat in coconut oil is lauric acid, mm-hmm. and lauric acid raises cholesterol slightly less than maristic acid or palmitic acid, which are slightly longer chain uh, saturated fatty acids. So so it, it it's slightly less, but even though it's slightly less it still significantly raises cholesterol and we know that cholesterol is associated with heart disease risk no mm-hmm. matter what people say the 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 clinical research on that is is well it's rated at a a grade a uh you know rating it's solid science that yeah. we've had for years and years
1: there's still some you know still there's some debate about it people say people need cholesterol uh, in your diet and that cholesterol does not cause um, heart disease and yeah. that's all a myth then yeah you can eat as much uh, bacon as you want to and you're going to be fine um but I don't see the evidence to you prove know, may
2: may You know, bacon is a class one human carcinogen. It's, uh, seriously, people can't be saying that anymore. It's, <laughs> it's deadly stuff. Uh, yeah. It's the worst of the worst. Um, but in terms of cholesterol, what people need to understand is a human body produces a thousand milligrams or so a day. Um, even if you're eating meat, you might be eating three or four hundred milligrams. Mm-hmm. We produce way more than Mm -hmm. than what we would eat, generally, unless you're eating really badly. Uh, So the the human body produces more than enough cholesterol. Even if you're reading the USDA uh, nutrition recommendations, you'll see where they state the human requirement for cholesterol is basically zero. We don't need any Mm. uh, because we make so much. Of course, every... You know, we don't. I shouldn't say we don't need any. We need every cell of the body needs cholesterol. We don't need to eat any. Yeah. We produce plenty. Uh, so I think that's what people need to understand. And and the link with, you know, heart disease and cholesterol. What we've learned is cholesterol in foods. Raises blood cholesterol levels uh, less than what we used to think, and mm-hmm. saturated fat raises cholesterol levels probably more than cholesterol itself. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that cholesterol doesn't have other adverse effects in you know when consumed in excess. And one of the things that I've seen research on is that when we consume cholesterol it increases the oxidation of LDL cholesterol and oxidized LDL cholesterol is the absolute worst in terms of cardiovascular disease risk. So it may, in you know, um, less directly affect yeah. um, our, our heart disease risk, but I don't think it's quite off the hook yet. Mm-hmm. And and so I, I, you know, I understand why people are saying this because there's some, definitely some studies saying it doesn't affect blood cholesterol as much as we used to think it does.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, I've, I don't I can't remember where I read it, but somewhere recently I read that your body produces 80% of cholesterol and you need 20% from food. I don't know where that's from.
2: Not a chance. Okay. (laughs)
1: Um, So I'm glad. You know, and again,
2: I just want to say, if you look at the longest lived, healthiest people in the world, they're all consuming predominantly plant-based diets. In Okinawa, they were eating a half an ounce of fish a day on average, Mm. a half an ounce, 15 grams. It's the amount of cholesterol there would have been half an ounce, maybe 10 milligrams, that would have been all the cholesterol in their diet. They seem to amble along reasonably well, even when they're 100 years of age, they're still out in their gardens. Yeah. So we, we again, need to need to think of these things.
1: Yeah, and one last point, I want to jump back to the coconut oil question. Um, I know co- coconut oil contains medium chain triglycerides. Are the, is there any benefit of extracting those uh, because of health properties and then creating... A product that includes mct oil in it uh and leaving the rest out is there any you the, could see any good reason to do that
2: yeah and 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 there may be in some very rare health conditions mm-hmm. um but for the average person no we don't need this stuff right. get your fat from whole foods period
1: right so so far we have uh you've given us so many options for fats um i didn't the, the nut butters the hemp seeds are so easy of course, you're against I mean you would not I wouldn't say against, but I think you're what you're trying to say is that the moment you try to extract something from a food, you end up leaving out a lot of good that's in it, absolutely and you're better off just consuming the whole thing yeah. um and and that's the best bet,
2: so yeah, use coconut, use mm-hmm. nuts, use seeds, use in some you know products or some um uses you may even be able to use avocado um but but as much as possible stick to the whole foods
1: so let's shift to um salt which is i know there's been some controversy debate also around salt lately um the conventional thinking has been it leads to too much sodium leads to hypertension lately some people have come out saying that's not true um and it depends on other factors what would you what what is your general recommendation around salt
2: I think that the evidence is overwhelming that excessive salt contributes to high blood pressure. Uh, it can also contribute to osteoporosis and stomach cancer. So most health authorities, even you know, in the United States and Canada, the maximum recommended intake is 2,300 milligrams a day. If you have high blood pressure, it may be 1,500 milligrams a day, or if you're at high risk for uh, high blood pressure. So um, the average person is probably eating about 3500 milligrams per day so most people need to reduce their intake of sodium and the interesting thing is 80% of sodium comes from processed foods mm-hmm. Salt makes foods taste more appealing there's no question so if you're preparing a product and you're trying to get a flavor you may you know you may be wanting to use some, uh, a, a bit of sodium. Some products you don't need to, but it definitely may uh, enhance the flavor of the product. But you wanna you wanna be using the lowest amount possible to achieve the flavor. So so we see um, huge ranges of sodium in veggie burgers, for mm-hmm. example. So you see some veggie burgers five or six hundred milligrams in a burger, and others two or three hundred milligrams. The two or three hundred milligrams to me would be a more desirable kind of range, and uh, we just want to be as responsible as possible. Then the other thing to think about is, is uh, you know, salt, um, if we're using salt in our products and you want to stick to O natural sea salt or whatever, I would still go for iodized sea salt mm-hmm. because we are, especially in Europe, but in, in North America too, we do see low iodine in some vegans because they've removed iodized salt and you know seaweed is, a, is an iodine source. So you could use a tiny bit of kelp mm-hmm. if you have a type of kelp where you've got it analyzed appropriately and and you get you, you get some value there. And so I think that would be a reasonable way to go. I don't think we have to absolutely eliminate salt. But I think you want to calculate so that so that you would be under that twenty-three hundred milligrams a day, or possibly even under the fifteen hundred milligrams a day in a normal diet. So you don't want a product that's got a thousand milligrams. That's for sure. Some people go with, you know, the uh, per hundred calories. Um, what is it? A uh, hundred milligrams per hundred calories, or something mm-hmm. like that. And when you're doing looking at processed foods and. That that can work. The only problem with that is, of course, if you're eating, um, you know, mostly whole foods, which don't have any added sodium,
1: yeah.
2: uh, then you'll be sort of undershooting a little bit. But that's, that's okay, too.
1: Yeah, that's <laughs> great advice on salt. Um, you did mention veggie burgers, and that's a perfect segue to what I was going to go to next, okay. which is, um, you know, <laughs> we live in an age... I'm I'm laughing because I I hate bringing up this point, but we have to discuss it. Protein, where products um, um, need protein in them, and people have, you know, we're in America right now. People are scared of sugar. They're scared they're not getting enough protein, and they're not sure about carbs yet. Yeah, Uh, and it depends on who they talk to. So you know, if if for example, you know, we're using. A protein source, what, what would you recommend? And I guess it depends on the product. If it's a veggie yeah. burger, it's slightly different. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to make a statement. I think obviously whole beans and legumes are probably the best yeah. uh, source of protein that you can get. But what, what are your thoughts on isolated proteins? Um, I know soy was traditionally used as a protein source. And or um, wheat gluten in uh, veggie burgers or in veggie meats. Mm-hmm. But that's changed over the years. And now pea protein seems to be in favor in most products. And I've been hearing about things like lupin as being another source of plant protein. And there's a lot of research underway in a, in some, some of these innovative new startups that are looking to find other proteins that could potentially um, pack the same amount of nutritional value um, and but also meet those other taste texture uh, yeah. things that you need to recreate meat. So, what is the lowdown on protein?
2: Yeah, that's a tough one. Well, I you know first of all when we talk about protein, I think it's important to understand a couple of things. One is that plant based diets can provide plenty of protein with all of the essential amino acids that people require, um, but they don't always. And, and so we've we've sort of laughed it off protein is a non-issue mm-hmm. you get enough protein if you just eat potatoes and that I think that's overstepping to mm-hmm. be honest I think that protein generally is is very important for growth and development uh, we need you know probably in a whole food plant-based diet about 0.9 grams per kilogram body weight more for children more for athletes and More, believe it or not, for seniors. So as you get older, um, you know, by the time you hit 70, your ability to to break down protein and to absorb those essential amino acids can be diminished by about 25%. And remember, you're eating less food. Mm -hmm. So when you're eating less food, then you're looking at an even higher percentage of calories from protein. So even though protein doesn't have to be much of an issue, if you're eating whole foods, most whole foods... You know, you look at uh, legumes, they're 20 to 40% of calories from protein. Uh, non-starchy vegetables about the same, uh, you look at, at grains, probably eight to 17 or 18% of calories from protein, nuts and seeds. Well, seeds are higher than nuts, maybe 12 to 20% of calories from protein. Nuts would be maybe five to 12. So, but if you consume, uh, the only thing that's really low in the plant world is fruit, but well, one to 10% of calories from protein. So if you're eating a variety of those foods, you'll, and you're eating enough calories, you're going to get. Usually plenty of protein, but it doesn't mean that we can't be short and we do need to be thinking about it when we're when we're doing, um, you know, making uh, uh, foods for people to purchase protein is is uh, an important point and people want replacements for meat. And so, you know, I mainly use legumes Mm -hmm. as my meat replacement, but I also make, you know, loaves and patties and all of those things. And I like tofu. I like tempeh. I think organic soy products are a really, really good option um the research we have on soy is really quite overwhelming that it 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 reduces risk of breast cancer if you start in at a young age especially it reduces risk of recurrence it increases your chances of survival it reduces risk of prostate cancer it even helps with um you know with with uh, your the healthy looking skin it mm-hmm. prevents baldness it prevent you know there's all sorts of good mm-hmm. things about soy and so i think that we have pretty overwhelming but that's organic evidence. soy only, organic right. soy is what i would recommend and and so and so when we're talking about okay what sources of protein in a so if you were doing a bar for example i would say hemp seeds 20 percent of calories from protein or pumpkin seeds mm-hmm. or something like that is is the way i would go and i'm also I'm, getting
1: the fat from there so it's, yeah, it saves me money it's
2: like it, exactly <laughs> <laughs> now in in you know veggie meat products mm-hmm. it's it's it's, a, it's tougher so you look at these, you know, isolates. Um, one of the concerns I have about isolates and concentrates is how they're extracted. And so in some cases we're extracting these things with hexane, and hexane's a neurotoxin. Yeah. And we don't know how much is left. And and so again, if you purchase organic, you know that you'll organic you can't use hexane to extract the protein. So You know, I think in, in organic products, it's, it's less of a problem. The other thing about soy protein isolates is that they, like meat, can increase IGF-1 levels, which can possibly increase cancer risk. So there, you know, there are all sorts of things to consider, but for the general population and you want some uh, meat substitute, I think the pea protein option is, is great. I think the, um, you know, again, the hemp seeds, the, the pumpkin seeds and the less processed soy. Mm-hmm. Could you use like uh, tempeh or tofu in the product? Yeah. This would be a good option. Uh, the gluten can be okay. The only thing is a lot of people are sensitive to gluten, and yeah. so that'll limit your market. Um, so it's that's a it's a tricky question. But I I applaud the people that are that are making an effort to find really appealing replacements for meat because for so many people uh, it just makes all the difference in the world to have that texture that flavor that they grew up with and love and so i think it's important and we need to have those things
1: yeah and you know even if no one's trying to say that they are as good as whole plant foods yeah. uh, in terms of health benefits but um one thing I can say is that all the companies that are working to develop these products, at least from my interactions with people at those companies, they are thinking about the health concerns right from the get-go. Yeah. They're trying their best to design ingredient labels um, that minimize some of the things that could potentially cause problems. Um, are they perfect yet? No. But I think they're, they know they have to work harder to get there yeah. so that when we reach the point when more people are consuming these foods versus meat, we don't end up with some new health problems that we well, didn't have before. Well, and that's
2: that's the other thing, Neil. That we know is that is that we know that people who are consuming even you know not the best veggie meats, for example, like the Adventists. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we think about the Adventist Health Study. We know that these products, relative to meat, are Can far Can you talk less... a little bit
1: more about where the, the Loma Lind- they're from Loma Linda? Yes. Majority of them. People may not know what the, the amazing data about the yes, and, and from there,
2: absolutely. So, so they use these products, they're still one of the blue zones, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and and we know less kidney disease and all of that with, with veggie meats than with with meat, a less cardiovascular disease, all of that. So, even if they're not perfect, they're a heck of a lot better than the alternative. So, um, you know, the Adventist Child State, we actually have been following three populations of people where we're comparing similar health-conscious individuals with different dietary patterns. Mm-hmm. So with the Adventist Health Study 2, this is not just Loma Linda, it's Adventist all over North America, including mm-hmm. Canada. And so th- this this particular study, what they're doing is they're comparing um, Adventist meat eaters, Adventist semi-vegetarians, pesco-vegetarians, lacto-ovo-vegetarians, and vegans, and, and they control for... Um, smoking, drinking, exercise levels, age, you know, all of that gender, all of those potentially confounding variables. And they've got you know 96,000 people that they've been following since 2002 so we're getting a lot of results on sort of data about disease and then there's another very similar study in the UK called EPIC Oxford 65,000 people that they've been following for for you know since 1993 and then there's a new newer study from Taiwan comparing similar health conscious Buddhists who are vegetarian versus non-vegetarian mm. so we're getting some really interesting data and and we're not comparing these people to the, general population as a matter of fact the entire cohort even the meat eaters are at half the risk of mortality compared to the general population so they're all at an advantage in terms of health but if we compare within that population the healthy meat eaters and the healthy vegans or vegetarians here's what we see epic oxford found a 32 percent risk reduction for heart disease the Adventist Health Study found a 42% reduction in men. Uh, they didn't find any reduction in women, but 42% in men for cardiovascular disease and 55% for ischemic heart disease. The lacto-oval vegetarian men, it was about 23%, so less less mm-hmm. significant. But if we look at cancer, 19% risk reduction in Epic Oxford for the vegans, 16% risk reduction for the vegans in, in the Adventist Health Study, too. If we look at diabetes, 62% risk reduction In diabetes for the vegans, 38% for the lacto-ovo vegetarians. That, you know, that's very significant. If we look at kidney disease for lacto-ovo vegetarians and vegans combined, 52% lower risk in Adventist Health Study 2, 31% lower risk in in Epic Oxford of kidney stones, Mm -hmm. for example. And then if we look at cataracts in Epic Oxford, 40% lower in vegans, 30% lower in lacto-ovo vegetarians. In Epic Oxford, diverticular disease 72% 72% lower in vegans, 27% lower in lacto vegetarians. And remember again, we're not comparing to the general population. Yeah. We're comparing to similar health-conscious meat eaters. This is powerful, powerful information.
1: That is really interesting. What you just outlined is just mind-blowing. I mean, that people, more people aren't talking about that and don't know about it, but yeah. that's something to keep in mind too when you're uh when we try to go too down the rabbit hole of per- perfection, we forget that the People who are choosing to eat more plant-based foods in their diet are overall doing better.
2: Yeah, and and that this is such an important uh, point, now because when you think about what people in Epic Oxford are eating, uh, people in the Adventist Health Study Two are eating—they're not eating necessarily whole food plant-based mm-hmm. diets. Uh, the Adventists include plenty of meat analogs. In Epic Oxford, they're eating, you know, French fries, and so imagine how well they'd be doing if they were eating. Whole food plant based diets, but whatever step we can take towards a whole food plant based diet, we're going to see health benefits
1: from. You're right. You're so right about that. So I mean, I think that really a lot of it is yet to be determined in terms of um, you know protein sources and the right way to extract them and process them and combine them with other ingredients. But um, I think the you you've given enough information here where if someone's thinking about this they can go about thinking about it the right way and for someone who's trying to choose a product they at least know what they need to have in mind before right. when they turn that package around and look at that uh, nutritional mm-hmm. nutrition facts label um, of course uh, you know i can't not talk about this because one of the biggest problems or kind of the biggest problems people tend to point out when it comes to packaged processed Slash processed foods, is the presence of um, additives and emulsifiers and preservatives and coloring agents and other things that are added in just so that those foods are um, either maintain their freshness. They they tend to be used, um, yeah, as I said, for color sometimes to enhance certain flavors, mm-hmm. and. A lot of them tend to tend the names of these ingredients tend to sound very chemically, uh, and we I know I read a recent study that about thirty eight percent of Americans are concerned about chemicals in their food. Um, I don't know what they're doing about it, but they're concerned about it. And um, some of these pro- some of these ingredients may sound chemically, but actually tend to be pretty uh, harmless. What What do you? I mean, I can give you a few examples, but what What do you think about? Packaged foods in the presence of uh, things like uh, xanthan gum and carrageenan and, uh, you know, I have a few others that I can't even pronounce, like tociferol, um, which yeah. is, I believe is vitamin E, if yeah, I'm not to- mistaken. The,
2: the tocopherol. Tocopherol, yeah. right. That's how yeah. you pronounce it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And again, you're absolutely right. Some of these things, if you think of xanthan gum or guar gum or these things are, are have actually been shown to... Reduce blood cholesterol levels. They're <laughs> they're totally harmless. Carrageenan is is a little more um, uh, controversial uh, mm-hmm. because there's some evidence it may, you know, do not such great things in the gut, and so there there's some there's some controversy and debate there. So a lot of people like to avoid it. Uh, but things like alpha tocopherol or whatever type of vitamin E is, is actually, we don't get enough vitamin E. Mm-hmm. So people who eat a low fat diet get an even lower amount of vitamin E because it's in higher fat foods like sunflower seeds and almonds and things like that. So having some tocopherol in a, in a product is probably not a bad thing at all. it, it it's a preservative, but it would be a good preservative. And so you're absolutely right. There's some preservatives that are of concern there's some additives like artificial sweeteners and some of the some of the preservatives that are more concerning and in all honesty it's definitely not my area of expertise mm-hmm. every individual food additive but i mean we we try to make sure m- most of what's there is 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 food <laughs> yeah and and keeping the the additives as low as possible, so we don't want flavor enhancers like MSG and and like I say, the artificial sweeteners. We just don't want those things in our food. We don't need colors. Mm-hmm. If you use, if you need to color a food, I I can remember doing a birth the 60th birthday party for my best buddy, and and thinking, you know, I want to do these fancy cupcakes with these. You know, flowers and all of these fancy things. Well, you know what I did? I actually, I actually uh, juiced uh, kale. I juiced beets. I, I juiced carrots, and I took and 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 concentrated those. You know, just uh, cooked the, that that mm-hmm. a little bit to concentrate it enough. And you cannot believe the beautiful colors I got. Mm. Nobody could believe I didn't use food coloring. But you can, you know, and I think manufacturers can consider those things. To have beet juice or, Mm -hmm. or, you know, carrot juice as a coloring would would be turmeric is... I use turmeric as a coloring in my food all the time. Mm. So if I'm, if I'm making a you know a bean dish that's kind of got this ugly gray color, well, turmeric cures that in a heck of a rush. <laughs> so and, and what am I adding? I'm adding one of the most powerful anti-inflammatory compounds I can add. Yeah. So for food manufacturers, think, think about what's naturally available to, to, to do the job that would actually be of benefit to people rather than uh, uh, provide harm.
1: And some of them are doing it. And I think that's uh, what you pointed out is so important is that people sometimes go for the cheapest, most available option knowing yeah. it is not the best, when, yeah. not because there aren't any other options out there. And I think um, the better food industry has responsibility to to change that, do start I, I couldn't to...
2: agree more. And and this is what you see. You see all of these, you know, oh natural organic granolas with, you know, a ton of sugar and oil. And why couldn't they use tahini and a a few dates instead Mm -hmm. of using sugar and oil get that those the fats and the sugars from whole foods and wow what a healthy a much healthier product that would be for people you know to be honest even the the yogurts that are being made the non-dairy yogurts I I was at a you know event where they had exhibits and and I tasted and I just couldn't believe the level of sweetness. It was gross to me. I couldn't even eat this stuff. It was just gross. And so why do we need to be adding that level of sugar? People need to adjust their palates. And mm-hmm. and people don't want that. A lot of people don't want that amount of sugar. So when I go to look for a yogurt, I'm looking for zero or one gram of sugar in the in a serving, I I won't buy anything with more than that. And mm-hmm. there are a lot of people like me. We don't want that stuff. Yeah. So think about that when you're, you know, when you're producing food. People want more whole foods.
1: Yeah. And you know, it's uh, the thing is, it's getting very confusing for consumers at the end of the day because some of the, you know, unfortunately, some of the players in the food industry are taking advantage of this uh, trend where people want cleaner, simplified ingredient labels. So often they will hide some of the additives and the preservatives under, you know, things like natural flavors. It'll just say natural flavors and they won't say any more details. Um, And some of it is because people have misconceptions around ingredients. Uh, Otherwise it's, they're trying to hide certain um, uh, things and put them under the halo of natural. Um, And it's also, it's a a tough time we're in where a lot of times producers, instead of actually investing time and effort, to design a better ingredient label yeah. are spending time and effort to design better packaging that yeah. appeals to the interest of people right. who want healthier, cleaner food. Absolutely.
2: Foods. And I love what you said. And it's a, a very important point. Natural means nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, arsenic's natural. You know? <laughs> Honestly, it's, it really doesn't mean a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so I mean, a lot of chemicals are you're not synthesized; they're pretty yeah, natural. They're so, pretty
2: natural, <laughs>
1: um, and not all chemicals are bad. So it's it's very complicated okay. at the end of the day. So right. um, from a consumer perspective, I think it's there's no simple answers. Unfortunately, I think if um, if the only advice we could give someone who's trying to decide what to buy, um, they should look out for um, the 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 cleanest sources of ingredients with the least amount of additives. Uh, And for the ones that you're not clear about, I would assume, you know, be wary, but, you know, don't necessarily throw out something and don't put it into a grocery cart because it seems to have an an ingredient that's unpronounceable. Do your research if you're really that concerned. That's right. Um, And I think that's something that also is an important thing for someone who's producing these products because you now know consumers are going to do their research. Maybe not all of them, but some of them will. Yeah,
2: and people need to learn to read labels. And the two most important parts, I mean, there are really three parts to a label in terms of nutrition. There's the nutrition facts, there's the ingredient list, and there's the claims on the front of the the label. And you need to be cautious about the claims uh, (laughs) because you can claim a lot of things. Um, The ingredient list is invaluable. You need to read the list of ingredients. And notice... If you see um, glucose and fructose and, you know, you've got seven different names for sugar on there and they're, it, they're trying to, to, you know, lower sugar on the list of ingredients. So they have so many types that they're all in small amounts. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it still adds up. And and you need to learn to read a label, uh, to the, read the nutrition facts, and look at the amount of, of fat, the amount of salt, the amount of sugar. And, and I believe in the States as well as Canada, soon our labels are going to be very specific to added sugars as opposed to all sugars. It, uh, to me, it's, it's, it's wonderful to have, you know, to see both what the total sugar would be, but what the added sugars are, because it's very different if you've added a few raisins or dates versus adding, you -hmm. know, white sugar. So
1: yeah, you're right about that. And you know, when I started off with my hypothetical food product idea for you, I was a little concerned that I would end up with something that would be awful tasting. But listening to you talk about just the the variety in the plant kingdom for whole foods, um, I'm pretty convinced that you could have great tasting food oh, it's that, fabulous. Is, that is even yeah. in a package that's even sold in a grocery store that is good for you, but it also is taste great. And I think absolutely. that's, it's just maybe some of these ingredients are a little expensive. Uh, yeah. And maybe we need to work on that. There's and, other challenges.
2: Yeah, that's, that's absolutely the number one issue is it's a lot more expensive to use dates or pears or raisins than it is to use white sugar or brown sugar or any other sugar for that matter. Uh, so that's that's the biggest issue, and our consumer is going to be willing to pay for that. Yeah, and I think there's a definite segment of the population that absolutely are willing to pay for that.
1: Right, and so it's definitely not black and white. There's a whole spectrum of foods. Yeah. I mean, you could be, you could be packaged foods and be terrible. Um, you know, just uh, potato chips. Uh, with nothing of any value in it, or the other end of the spectrum, you could be this uh, amazing uh, energy nutritional bar that is made of uh sprouted quinoa or wild berries and sweetened with, um, dates and, yeah. uh, with, uh, hemp seeds as a protein source in it. Yeah. And, uh, Perhaps a little salt, if you need to, and <laughs> make yeah. the flavor good. But uh, um, so it is possible, and I think you. I I also really appreciated you getting into the veggie meats and the veggie burgers thing, because yeah. you know that's such an important uh, category of the food industry right now, and yeah. um, it's important that we talk about those products uh, from the impact that they're going to make on the planet, but Absolutely. also from the impact that it's going to make on 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 people on public health. Yeah. Um, and I, it sounds like there's ways to make it happen without compromising completely.
2: Yeah, and there are even some whole food based patties that are based on black beans You're and right. quinoa, for example. So for those that want those kinds of options, which are really ideal, uh, they don't taste like uh, meat, meat, though. Yeah,
1: but they're still, <laughs> yeah, you know, they have their own still, flavor. Yeah, to it. yeah, they're still great. I, you know, I'm going to ask you a few more things about some of the trends that are happening in the in the natural food space right now. Some of them not so new. Um, you know, one is fortifying foods. It's not necessarily a new trend. Um, companies have been fortifying their foods with vitamins and minerals for for years now. Um, do you think there's any uh, any value in that? Would you? I, mean, I guess there's nothing wrong with it. But what are your thoughts on it?
2: Well, to be honest, I think it's it's probably a reasonably good idea. And and the reason I say that is because we see big differences in a nutritional adequacy of the, the Adventist population versus the Epic-Oxford population. There's a lot more B12 deficiency in the Epic-Oxford population. There's a lot higher intake of calcium in the Adventist population. So they tend to do better in terms of meeting nutritional requirements. And it's because we've got fortified non-dairy milks they 've got b12 added they've got vitamin D added they've got calcium added whereas in Europe they haven't added those things you can't call a product organic as far as I understand in Europe mm. and add uh, b12 so so they're at it's just to me that's unfortunate right because one of the things that I feel most strongly about is if someone wants to do plant based and doesn't meet their nutritional requirements, say they end up B12 deficient or their child, even worse, ends up uh, B12 deficient. We we really, this becomes exhibit number one for why people are justified in eating meat. Mm-hmm. You can't do well on a plant-based diet. And so if the world is shifting towards plant-based, we still need B12. So why not add it to foods so that people are eating on a regular basis? If we need a little boost in calcium because people aren't eating enough leafy greens and almonds and figs and the things that provide calcium, then sure, if you're going to be drinking a non-dairy alternative like almond or or uh, hemp or, or soy milk, why not add some calcium to it? It just makes sense to me. Uh, there are some nutrients we've added that may backfire a little bit, like the uh, folic acid, which has helped tremendously, possibly in reducing neural tube defects. Uh, there's some indication that it may increase cancer risk if mm-hmm. we're consuming more than, you know, it's 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 a debate still, but more than a thousand uh, micrograms a day. So if you're eating a lot of fortified foods and um, you know c- consuming more than that, it may it may be an issue. Uh, so so there are some you know some nutrients that that we may not want to add, but when you think about um, doing whole foods there are fewer concerns than when you're doing refined foods. so when we first started refining wheat and making white flour products we actually saw deficiency diseases in in you know uh, thiamine and niacin and riboflavin and and so we add those nutrients to cereals and to to other foods that are very highly refined but what we want to do is make foods that aren't so refined so we don't have to worry about those nutrients. And when we're doing plant-based is just to make sure the nutrients of concern are covered, which really are uh, B12, iodine, vitamin D. Those are the biggies. And so adding those to me would make sense.
1: I'm going to ask about the um, nutrients that I think uh, people need to keep in mind if they're choosing more plant-based foods or entirely plant-based foods. What are your thoughts on k 2 and um, I know these are two separate things, and the other is mm-hmm. adequate omega threes in a diet. And does do do people should people look for fortified foods or supplement?
2: Okay, so first, let's do K two vitamin K two. Uh, we get a ton of vitamin K from leafy greens. So so vitamin K that's K one though, and and. The way that we convert it into the more active vitamin K2 is there are bacteria in our large intestines that that make that conversion quite efficiently, and so most vegetarians don't have to worry about taking a direct source of K2. Now the exceptions would be if you're taking antibiotics and killing the bacteria, or you have dysbiosis and you don't have enough of the bacteria that would produce K2. So I think if you're doing a course of antibiotics, it might not be a bad idea to take a supplement of K2. We could add it to some of our products uh, I don't think it would hurt anything uh, so that's you know mm-hmm. kind of that's the the score on k2 and and uh, the other one was essential fatty acids and so so what people need to know is is we tend to get plenty of linoleic acid or the omega-6 fatty acid uh, and we convert very efficiently to the longer chain omega-6 fatty acids. Whereas the omega-3 fatty acids we tend to get less of because there are fewer sources. So so we get this the plant source is alpha linolenic acid, which comes from flaxseed, chia seed, hemp seed, walnuts. Even greens provide some alpha linolenic acid, about half of the fat in greens. But we'd have to eat like a horse or a cow to get enough because mm. we need maybe twenty or thirty cups to give us our two or three grams a day. So so and then these these plant omega-3s in our body can get converted slowly to the long chain more biologically active epa or icosapentanoic acid or dha docosahexanoic acid and these things are really important for brain Mm -hmm. function they're important for the function of our eyes for our cell membranes all of that and we really need to be getting enough some people convert enough as some, some people may not. So people with hypertension, high blood pressure, people who have maybe depression, people who grew up in cultures where they ate a lot of fish for many generations, they may not produce as many of the desaturase enzymes that convert the plant fat into these longer chain, more active fats that we need. And so for some people, it makes sense. We don't know that everyone needs EPA and DHA, but it probably wouldn't hurt for everyone to Mm -hmm. get a little bit to keep their levels high because vegans probably have about two-thirds less long chain omega 3s in their body compared to omnivores. We don't know that that's a terrible thing. Yeah. Um, but we know that people with a little bit higher levels may be at lower risk for certain You
1: certain mean you, it can't hurt to have more.
2: No, it it it, it
1: is can, any is there any drawbacks there, to consuming there, too much flaxseed?
2: Well uh yes, actually. Okay. So so flaxseed contains cyanogenic glycosides mm-hmm. which which Actually, could inhibit your production. It could be they're goitrogens, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so you could eat too many raw flax seeds. When you cook them, it's not an issue. Mm-hmm. But when they're raw, yes. So you could eat almost too much of anything. Um, now, long chain omega threes. Uh, people eat fish oil, thinking you know the more the merrier, because yeah. we used to think it protected against heart disease. Now it's a, a lot bigger question mark, because we had so many fish oil failure studies, like even the JISI trial when they followed people long term they didn't they didn't there was no advantage to the fish oil and I think it may be because when you take a, a thousand or two thousand uh, milligrams of of EPA and DHA these are the most highly unsaturated fats in the human diet that which means they're unstable they'll go rancid quickly and so when you're taking an amount that's physiologically, Um, not what we would get if we were just eating a piece of fish. Uh, Can the body handle that? And so so there is a limit to what we would want to be consuming. But the beautiful thing about... Uh, you know, these long-chain fats in fish is they actually come from plants in the sea. Mm-hmm. They originally come from microalgae. And so we're culturing microalgae. We don't have to rape the ocean. We just culture the microalgae. We're free of the mercury and all of the toxins. toxins the
1: plastic yeah, they're, and everything. Yeah,
2: exactly. Uh, exactly. All the persistent organic pollutants and all of that stuff. We culture the stuff. And then the amounts in the microalgae supplements, two or 300 milligrams, mm-hmm. which is, to me, perfect. It's it We're, we're less prone to, to oxidize when we're taking it in these smaller amounts. And so to have two or 300 milligrams, even just two or three times a week, may be a wise right. thing for people. And so manufacturers that are thinking of adding a little bit to milk or a little bit to a bar or whatever... Um, Maybe not such a bad idea. We've got to make sure they don't get oxidized. So we'd want to figure out a way of doing that. But overall, I think having a little extra and boosting the levels of of omega-3s or the omega-3 status of the average vegan may not be a bad idea.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, The other big trend we're seeing lately, I'm sure you've seen a lot of products out there uh, touting the benefits of uh, functional foods. You did mention turmeric earlier. Yeah. in the context of coloring, but things like turmeric, probiotics, uh, medicinal mushrooms, um, uh, kind of foods like maca root are gaining in favor in the last, and herbs as well, are being added into foods, and you'll see a lot more products out there that are touting the brain benefits, the energizing benefits of these added functional foods. Um, what are your thoughts on, on that, I don't think it's a new trend. It's kind of ancient wisdom coming back yeah. in some ways.
2: Yeah, yeah. I see no issues with that at all because we're talking whole foods. Yeah. You know, the medicinal mushrooms, the turmeric, it's just all good. It's all good. So when you're using whole foods and adding, you know, whole foods to the products that are that have a little bit of superpower in terms of anti-inflammatory mm-hmm. capacity or antioxidant capacity, Great.
1: Yeah, so I can definitely consider adding maca into my energy bar. Absolutely, um, and you know, <laughs> throwing in—I think turmeric would be a lot, but, <laughs> but we can throw in some herbs. Um, yeah. And the good part is, you're seeing—you're seeing a lot of um, companies doing that now. Yeah, uh, I think also at the end of the day, people are just getting smarter. I think consumers are getting smarter. We just have to. You have to create a new agricultural system that brings down the cost of some of these products and these yeah. ingredients, and then makes them more widely available across yeah. the across the world. Really, the
2: greater the demand, the lower the price will get. When we start producing, it's we we see that all the time. It's a supply and demand thing, and we'll be it'll be all good.
1: Yeah, and you've <laughs> been you know you've been doing this for over thirty years now, and yeah. I'm sure you've seen in the last uh, five to ten years things have. Uh, i have really changed.
2: Oh, my. It's just incredible. It, uh, You know, I honestly didn't know if I would live long enough to see what I'm seeing today. Uh, you know, there was a day when you walked into a restaurant and said you were vegan. They had no idea what planet you were from. They had no clue what you were talking about. Uh, and nothing, nothing ever said vegan on a label. Mm-hmm. Now you walk into the, you know, the... Uh, practically the hardware store and you'll see stuff <laughs> with vegan on the label so it's 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 really a different world it's a very different world and it's very exciting for me to see this it's a it's just a dream come true to be honest
1: yeah i mean you were telling <laughs> before we started recording you were telling uh, me about how when you were probably one of the early um dietitians who was was even vegetarian and you didn't even know there were others out there yeah
2: I I mean I I honestly thought I was the only vegetarian dietitian on the planet (laughs) I had never heard of any I had never met any (laughs) you know I but but of course to be fair I had never really met any real life vegetarians either
1: (laughs) (laughs) that makes (laughs) me too so but yeah, we've come such a long way. And uh, undoubtedly, I think, you know, it's exciting. If you look ahead, say, the next 30 years, I mean, what yeah. do you, what what is your vision for the, say, the year 2050? What do you imagine the world's going to be like uh, if, um, let's see, more and more people listen to this and listen to what you have to say and more companies out there create better products and, mm-hmm. Even if Americans or you know the whole world is eating 50% of their calories from packaged goods, now they're packaged goods that is packed with whole foods, real foods, functional foods, fortified with the right nutrients that people need. What kind of world is that going to be? Do you, do you have It'll, a vision?
2: Yeah, I do. I I see a world that is a much more ethical, kinder, more compassionate place, and that is my hope for the world. I mean, we just... We, I think that it will come because it will be an imperative in terms of our survival as a species, um, and that's the bottom line. But you know, once people get there, they'll, see, they'll really start to see the bigger picture. And uh, I think being vegan is really all about compassion and kindness and trying to contribute less to pain, suffering, and death in the world. And that's what it's all about. And we want to leave a place that is that kind of place for our children and our grandchildren. And that's my hope for the future. And I I really believe, I I really believe and pray that we'll get there uh, in my lifetime. It <laughs> would be wonderful.
1: I'm sure we will. Thank you so much, Brenda Davis. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for taking the time Well, today. thanks
2: so much, Nell. It was my privilege.